Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. On the podcast, I don't generally talk a great deal about where I live, the work that I do, my professional responsibilities, organizations that I work for, or anything like that. In this episode and in a couple of episodes to come, that's going to be a little bit different. Where I live, the work that I do, the organizations that I'm a part of have all been in the front pages of newspapers. It sounds like around the world, pretty much every major news outlet uh, for the last 10 days or so, because I live in Santa Rosa, California, and that is a region that has been affected by some really devastating wildfires. I work at Santa Rosa Memorial Hospital, which thankfully was able to remain open during these extraordinary days where our entire region seemed like it was threatened with imminent destruction because of these out-of-control fires. And this is where I grew up. And the folks that have been affected, the stories that are being told, these are neighborhoods that I grew up playing in. These are people that I grew up with. The high school that there's footage of that has been to some degree burned down. That's where I went to high school. So this has been a very challenging 10 days. And this episode and a couple of episodes to come are very, very personal for me. And it's great in some ways that we can begin to talk about what's happened and what is still happening and what still needs to happen. So I'm delighted that you're listening to this episode. Hope that you can continue to listen as we go forward and share in what has transpired in the town that I grew up in, live in now, and love very dearly. So to that end, my guest on this episode is the chief medical officer of Santa Rosa Memorial Hospital, Dr. Chad Krilich. Chad is a family practice doc by training, and he has been in Sonoma County for less than a year, taking the CMO job I think we're at about the seven-month mark or so, and Chad was one of many, but certainly an instrumental hand in helping keep Santa Rosa Memorial Hospital functioning, operating, keeping morale high, keeping the staff focused, keeping the medical staff engaged, and helping our community weather what has been an extraordinary stretch of time. So, Chad, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, Mark, uh, thanks for the invitation. It's a privilege. I've had a chance to listen to a few of your podcasts on Explore the Space and um, uh, look forward to the conversation. When you took the job less than a year ago, <laughs> I don't think that you could have ever <laughs> scripted that less than a year into the job, you would be the chief medical officer at a hospital receiving international attention that's trying to help a community navigate a disaster. That's correct. When you're taking a position of leadership in medicine. Let's start with that. Let's start with the broad strokes around what it means to lead in medicine. Do you find that you are ever prepared? Do you get training? Do you learn by example? Do you improvise? Do you do all of the above or other things? Where does the training come from to be ready when you are in charge of a medical staff that is dealing with a disaster? Uh, that's a great question, uh, Mark. I think 
you know, part of my story is is a little bit of everything. Uh, you know, specifically, I was at the University of Washington getting my BS in biology and my BA in economics. And at that time, medical schools were offering combined degree programs. And I participated in one in Boston at Tufts University. And at that program, you know, I was fortunate enough to come in contact with a lot of physician leaders who started to talk about the differences of being a physician and also being a leader uh, or a manager. And it is a, it is a different lens with which that you look at the work. And so I was exposed to that early on. Um, and then, you know, following the medical school experience, I experienced residency where I really didn't use my MBA per se. It was more about uh, becoming uh, a physician with a plan with which to work in a rural setting and really got my MBA so that I'd be able to manage my practice. Uh, one thing led to another, and after visiting White Salmon, Washington, where I thought I would end up um, starting my practice, uh, my lovely bride reminded me that, you know, that might not be a good fit for us. And it was just by happenstance uh, that I came to work for a federally qualified health center. And that's where I really started to um, get a sense as to how, you know, you balance some of that work. Um, probably within two to three years, I, there were projects that came forward, whether it be related to uh, helping implement an EHR or getting accredited by the Joint Commission or doing chart auditing, where you start to get a wider lens that, you know, you need to know what's happening at the bedside. Uh, I think physicians that nowadays are getting master's um, have that, you know, clinical perspective, but also having that larger um, lens, if you will, about the operations and um, how to have really difficult conversations, not just with your colleagues, but with the other members of the team, whether it's in the hospital or the clinic, is really important. And I think as I was moving uh, through that at a community health center, one of the things that really prepared me uh, well for understanding um, disaster management was the Hicks training around, you know, having an incident command. I was fortunate to be a part of a team that um, through the National Free Clinic Association, we cared for a thousand um, displaced people in the Tacoma Dome one day and putting up, you know, the, the pipe and the drapes and, and finding a way with which to not have what you would normally have in the clinic or hospital setting, but to be able to serve people um, uh, in a way that uh, they receive the care that uh, would be appropriate for that time was super helpful. Um, and then over the years, as I uh, transitioned as a medical director and a chief medical officer at Multicare Health System, I was really fortunate, uh, and albeit you don't wish for these things to happen, to uh, have exposure to disaster preparedness, whether it be through power outages or snowstorms. And I think most of your listeners can probably relate to the preparedness that we all had to go through as it relates to uh, Ebola and learning words like donning and doffing and, and how do we get ready for that. I think all of those um, pieces uh, really uh, helped to provide a framework or a wireframe around, you know, using uh, incident command and uh, having a, a, a command and control structure in place where you need to make decisions quickly, I think really helped uh, as, you know, I got uh, really the first, I was looking back at my communications, the first text was from you uh, that, you know, there's a fire happening. And then shortly after my wife came downstairs and then I saw the email uh, that the incident command structure had been raised up uh, as I was seeing smoke and fire uh, in our neighborhood. So I think a lot of that is the journey that led me um, to, to where I am today. And uh, as Julie and I talked about the opportunity to come to Sonoma County, we really felt 
called to be here. Um, I don't know if this is why we were called, but uh, that being said, uh, um, th that's part of the background that I had as a physician leader that that's led me to where I am today. It's so vital in all of the shows that we've done on, on Explore the Space with people who've been through disasters. They always talk about, you know, that ability to feel prepared to have some sort of background so that you're not going in with with nothing. And it sounds like you were able to sort of enter this process with at least some sort of infrastructure of what needed to be put in place, how to do it, who to call, those sorts of things. And it's funny that you mentioned, you know, notification. I, in preparation for the podcast, I went back to our text string from Monday, October 9th at 2.43 a.m. is when you and I started texting, hey, there's some large fires burning. There's some areas of Sonoma County that are being evacuated, figured, you know, we need to both be up to date. My wife woke me up at about 1.45 in the morning on Monday, October 9th and said, honey, I think that there's some big fires burning. I can smell a lot of smoke. We'd spent a lot of time in San Diego. I'd lived there for about 13 years. My wife is from there. And unfortunately we had had to deal with, and so San Diego County had had to deal with some, some significant wildfires. So she certainly knew what to look out for. And we could see a glow behind the mountain that we live at the base of, and my parents live on. So it was, you know, immediately kind of call to action, get the, get everyone together, get everyone in the same place. Uh, f in that period though, one of the things that I remember is there was a feeling of, even though we were connected via text message, we were all going in different directions. We were evacuating. Lots of other people were evacuating. Some people were going, getting to the hospital to report for duty. When you're in that, when you're in that leadership role and your family's trying to figure out what to do. And you're trying to figure out what to do, knowing you got to look out for your family and you also have to look out for your institution. Those are two pretty heavy weights to try to balance out. What is the, what's the thought process that helps you to sort of tease out, okay, I have responsibility A, which is vital. I have responsibility Z, which is equally vital and very different. How do you start to kind of reconcile that? Because I think this is an important question. Anybody who is in the midst of a disaster really does have to sort of think through so that they can execute to best effect on behalf of both of those responsibilities? Yeah, great question. You know, I think for me, it's one that's personal um, as well as professional. And whenever I, I've been asked similar questions, whether it's through an interview process or a colleague, um, you know, the, the way I, I see it is I have my faith, I have my family, and then I have fitness and then what I call my fiduciary responsibilities. So I, you know, four Fs to just help me kind of balance out really difficult decisions. And so in the, in the midst of, uh, of this disaster, um, I knew I had to pray. I knew that um, I had to get my family together. Uh, I knew I had to get to work. I mean, I knew, it, I knew I needed to do it carefully. And so that nobody was harmed and, you know, in earnest, uh, what we did is we went outside, we saw what was happening, we knocked on our neighbor's doors, and we looked at one another, and we said, we, we need to get out of here, and I need to get to the hospital, and you guys will be safe at the hospital, and then we'll just go from there. So I think, you know, quickly we gathered up, you know, what belongings that we needed, not having ever had to evacuate and just seeing the fire on the hillside as, as around us. Uh, we just knew we had to go. I knew I needed to be present at the hospital because at any point, as you're serving as a leader for an institution, right, I mean, that's, that's the expectation, that's the training that you get in understanding how incident command works. You, you report for duty, 
and you make sure that your family's safe. And, you know, I'm very fortunate that I married up. Julie's an amazing woman who uh, understands the, the obligation that being a physician is and what the practice of medicine is like. It's not a job. Um, it's a calling. I feel very fortunate to, to be practicing medicine. And, um, and that, that's really how it went down for us that night. Those first few days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I remember, you know, we were in the thick of it the whole time. Those who had evacuated, you know, we evacuated about an hour to the south and were able to gather ourselves and, you know, my family was safe and and secure and was able to get to the hospital. And I remember knowing that obviously we were in a, a, a storm of unpredictability, but you know, you just, you, you circle back to those, the key principles, right? First, do no harm and make sure that we're putting patient care first. Obviously we're patient care is the patient at the bedside, but it's also how are we going to be able to best care for the community? That first stretch of time though, it felt like there were dominoes falling. There were more evacuations. There were two hospitals that are our neighbors and partners that were evacuated and had to cease operations there were staff that couldn't get in. We were immediately getting reports of staff, person, physicians, nurses, everybody who lost their homes. There was this ripple effect of really bad news. And yet we were able to keep things moving. And in that period of time, I know you were feeling, you were getting that same sort of wave of news that was difficult, negative, sad, scary. What did, were you able to do to kind of, you know, fend it off and maintain that sort of equanimitas that you have to maintain when people are looking to you to execute on a plan? How were you able to do that? Because I remember also in the command center, loud, lots of things going on, but there were always places you could look to know that, hey, we are still here, we're still operating, and we're going to keep going forward. How are you able to absorb the bad news and keep keep things going in the direction they need to go? I think it's the same way that our care providers were able to do that, right? We are all called to do a job, whether it's a nurse, housekeeper, physician, pharmacist, and, and we have jobs to do, um, and that's to care for the patients that are in front of us or our colleagues, uh, depending upon the scenario. And so in the role as a chief medical officer, you know, your job is to understand capacity management and to understand what resources you have available to you. Um, and it's one of the things that, right, not uh, going to medical school saying, I want to be a chief medical officer, but now, you know, for gosh, right, um, over the better part of uh, my career now serving in that capacity, out of residency, the thing that I really enjoy about it is problem solving. And right, this is a very unique problem where you have capacity management, not just by virtue of the volume of patients that are coming into your facility, but then the staffing. And the, the challenge of the staffing in this scenario is that you have the immediate incident with which, you know, you have, you know, approximately um, a smattering of notifications that uh, people have lost their homes, and then as you as we sent out a communication via email and started to find out verification, you know that you know initially it was 
you know, 60 some odd employees, 30 of whom were physicians, and then it escalated up to 130, 50 of whom were uh, physicians, you, you start to solve the problem and say, okay, what are the resources we're going to need in order to meet the demand of those patients who are coming into our facility? And that's where, you know, the money is at because it's, it's a super interesting problem to solve and you're doing it because there are people in great need and there's a lot of um, motivation that's driving you to, to get to you know, the best answer to that question. And so I think knowing what everybody did in, the, in this space with dealing with a disaster, we're, we're all called to do a job and that's what we were doing. And we had a great team and have a great team here of people who've had tremendous experiences, you know, whether it be our chief nursing officer, Vicki White, uh, our president, uh, Todd Solness, our chief operating officer, Tyler Hedden, you know, a group of medical directors who have been through so much, including yourself. We were able to frame what the problem was. And then the incident command structure and the resources that were deployed, as well as the inputs that we were getting from, from the EOC, and you think of organizations like public health and uh, police and CAL FIRE. I mean, we were given a lot of information to be able to understand uh, more so what was coming our way, not just in terms of capacity management around staffing our facility. In addition to that, the risk of having to evacuate our facility and having the time with which to think about that uh, if we were called to do that. Fortunately, as, as you know, and your listeners may know, we weren't ever uh, informed that we had to evacuate, but really it's all it's all capacity management and problem solving. And then on the end of managing to a disaster is in the space of leadership, just being mindful about what people are bringing to you and being clear about what our process is and then circling back. Uh, you know, example of that, I think that uh, I continued on rounds last night to hear about was air quality within the facility and, you know, kudos to Tyler and his team and the staff informing us around, you know, the smoke in the facility that people were smelling and albeit wasn't visible, but it was problematic and people were needing to wear masks and, you know, people actually seeing uh, the HEPA filters and the charcoal filters coming up to the floor and then experiencing, uh, gosh, it's better, you know, executing on those things, I think built trust with within our teams and our teams felt good about it and our, our care providers felt better. And uh, as you start to get these little wins uh, over the course of, you know, what really is a disaster, I think uh, we were fortunate that, that these wins, you know, were accumulating and we were able to sustain our operations. It's so interesting that you bring up those two specific things around the air filters and as we've talked about before, everyone reporting for duty, you know, people flocking to the hospital to get to work and this idea of how that builds trust. And I'll be honest, I think that that may have been the most important thing that was keeping us together is that we were seeing that in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all of the bad news that we were discussing and that I pointed out and people have seen on the news, we were making headway. We were making the air quality better. We were getting masks distributed out. We were getting a control over where all of our people were and getting phone calls out to them. And when you do that, it almost feels like there's a sense of accomplishment and people know that they're being seen, they're being heard, they're being accounted for, and therefore they're going to want to, they're, they're still part of this and that it, 
it helps to make sure that the network, the community, the family that you spend time building when you're building culture, that that doesn't just disintegrate that, you know, for lack of a better term in a fire, it doesn't burn away because if that had happened, then we would have been adrift, but it didn't. And I I think that's right, Mark. I think the other thing too is uh, having the structure in place that called us to go to the shelters and go to you know, the fairgrounds and see what Cal Fire is doing and see what public health is doing and see what, you know, everybody else is doing. Everybody was working hard to solve the problem and everybody in our community was, was having these wins. And I think, albeit amidst, you know, all these terrible experiences that everybody was having, whether it was, you know, physical related to, you know, having shortness of breath and having inhalation injuries and having burns or, more psychosocial around the loss of a home or otherwise, we were seeing over the course of this incident, fortunately, in the midst of tragedy, a lot of um, success. And we were fortunate enough to partner with folks who were building on that. You bring up the part around this that is the difficulty, the tragedy. And there was a lot, and there still is. The hospitalist division dealt with its share Every division in the hospital dealt with its share in terms of personal loss and in terms of learning about and seeing firsthand, taking care of patients who had been injured, patients whose family members had died. It was extraordinarily traumatic. What are the ways that emotion helps us in a disaster and hinders us in a disaster such that we're able to recognize, I can't believe what I'm seeing. I can't believe how much pain and grief I'm seeing and how I'm, how much I feel, but yet I still have work to do as a leader. And to, so to be able to execute on that on the personal level, but also as a leader, what are the levels that you, the levers that you pull so that people know the emotion is there. We're not oblivious to it, but we maybe need to hold it or set it aside or come up with a different way to manage it so that we can maintain the priority? That's, that's a great question, Mark. As I think about, you know, leadership, right, one of the things that uh, I've seen really good leaders do is have a level of transparency about who they are and how they operate. And obviously, there's, there's some things, you know, that we need to be mindful about not being transparent about, you know, so for example, you know, I'm hoping that Todd, my boss, doesn't, you know, show everybody my performance evaluation, which is coming up next week. <laughs> um, well, I'm hoping that goes well. But there's, there are other things that we do need to be transparent about. So, for example, I think all of us, you know, are familiar with death and dying and grief and loss and the, the typical things that you go through. And so whether it was with my son, Drew, as we were driving, you know, them to a hotel or with the folks on incident command, I was very clear that we need to be prepared for people that are that are going to come in and are going to be in denial, that are going to be angry, that are going to be bargaining, that are going to be sad, and then you know may come to some some realization. And I think we all know, and certainly your listeners do, that you know it doesn't necessarily have to go in order, and people go back and forth to, to that. And so for for me as a leader, I think acknowledging that that's the process. Um, and then being transparent about it, you know, for 
the incident command on day two when I reported that over 40 physicians were homeless, uh, I lost it. So I walked out of the room. I went down to the uh, outside of the cafeteria. I cried like a baby. Uh, I had my primal scream. And then I said, it's time to get back to work. And I think uh, in that space for me in dealing with the, the tragedy of it, I think in being a physician, just knowing that that is okay. Uh, I think everybody's seen the picture of the emergency room physician outside of the department where he's on his knees and and crying. And, you know, I actually thought about that over the course of what we were experiencing. And so for other physician leaders out there, I've, I've found, you know, for me, just going back to our training, knowing that these are things that you're going to expect. And I think as a leader, being transparent to a level that you're that you're comfortable with is good and right. And, you know, at the end of the day, whether it's talking about managing a disaster or macro or what have you, you know, having a transparency is, I think, critical in our ability to be effective as leaders with our colleagues. Was there ever a time during this period where, and I know what my answer to this would be, where things felt unstable. You know, we've, as we've talked, you know, we've painted a picture that I don't want to give the illusion that memorial, everything was mint condition and perfect the whole time because it was a major challenge. Was there ever a time in the stretch of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday into the weekend that things felt unstable, that the footing was really unsure for you uh, as a leader? around the macro picture, the hospital as a whole, and the immediate road? That's a good, that's a good question. I, you know, Mark, I think for me, as I think through, you know, this period of time, there, there were, but it, it really is a matter of, you know, the, the process as you manage any problem. And right, we, chose to have our briefings, you know, initially every hour or two. And that was a, the, and the rationale for that was because things were changing so fast, you know, around evacuations and what patients are we going to be receiving? And I think having the cadence of us looking in the room to say, okay, what do we need to have our next debriefing? Well, we don't know what the status is for our evacuation. And, you know, we are um, at capacity in our ED and, I wouldn't say that there's, you know, any one time where, oh my goodness, this is so unstable or gosh, our footing is just in a bad way here. I think that the symptom, if you will, of instability that for me was predicated on the frequency with which we would have debriefings because, right, if we had a sense of uncertainty, we just met more often. And I think fortunately over the course of this incident, a fair bit of faith and a fair bit of execution and a, a lot of collaboration in the community. We we're fortunate if you go back and look at the frequency with which we met, it, it ultimately has spaced out over time. So I, w I wouldn't say, oh yes, you know, it was unstable or we were on poor footing, but we were in a place where we needed to meet often just to get real clear about how it was that we were going to manage capacity. You know, were we going to start evacuating? Were we going to treat and transfer patients? You know, how do we step through that as a team? And, um, and, and I think the meeting frequency really spoke to 
um, how we manage to that. As other organizations look to Sonoma County and to Santa Rosa Memorial about how the disaster was managed, lessons learned, mistakes made, harvesting, ways to be better, things to try to replicate and disseminate. I think that one of the strengths of what we did and what was done at Memorial was exactly that, that we were in, we had FaceTime with each other so much. And so that accomplished a couple of things. One, executing on problems, identifying, executing, problem solving with the people who know the institution the best and making sure everyone has the same amount of information so that we're, you know, quashing rumors, all of these sorts of things. But the other thing that it did is it just put people in a room together to keep that sense of community intact. So there was still smiles and fist bumps and are you okay? And let's get some coffees and those little things that just keep morale high. From the perspective of the hospitalist division, we started meeting every single day, which we don't do aside from our morning check-in. It was, hey, everybody get in the office in the middle of the day, run your patient list together. Who needs help? Who needs support? Has everybody been seen? Wellness check-in almost. And I think that in doing that, you're reinforcing those really powerful cultural underpinnings that we all spend so much time trying to build, reinforce, mentor around, all of that. You're leveraging it. Because you're reminding each other, hey, we're here together as a team. Let's function as a team. And you get that reminder over and over and over again over the course of an emergency. It's really powerful. I think, yeah, I think that's right. I, I think the other thing, too, that I would add is, you know, we would have these briefings and we would hear from nursing leaders, operational leaders, physician leaders. Uh, I think the other thing that was, Vital, and I think it's in, is vital for physician leaders in general, as well as you know any leader. And lots of folks who've written about this is you know we have our plan, we communicate our plan. I know that everybody reads my emails. You know the, you know these kind of things, and you don't really know how effective you're executing on your plan until you go and see what's actually happening. And so I think that uh, the leaders like going to the emergency department, going to the ICU going to telemetry, going to the pharmacy, that action that was happening to say, how is the message being received? Is there any additional feedback or any additional adjustments we need to do? Uh, I think is really important, not just in a disaster, and certainly it helped us in this situation, but just in general as a leadership principle, I think those underpinnings that were called out, I think for me early on in, in training and in practice and seeing that I was fortunate enough to join a team who believes in the same principles and have worked with other teams that do that. That was really key in us being successful, uh, not just as you know, a hospital, uh, but as a, as a community and just getting out and seeing and, and then making, making adjustments. So now we're at that point where the highest acuity part of this disaster is subsiding. You know, we've met with, we've gotten good information from Cal Fire. It's in the news. You know, the fire suppression, fire control is dramatically better than what it's been. Uh, the winds have died down. All of these things that are so vital to us being able to get past this first destructive phase of this disaster. Now we're entering a different phase where it's, let's get back to normal operations. And we've made that transition really, really fast. And as we've done so, 
we are not forgetting what's happened at all, but where do you think we have to continue to connect with what's just happened and recognize what's just happened and not go back to normal operations too fast, shrug it off and say everything's is fine because it's not. Normal operations are not normal operations compared to 11 days ago. They're normal operations in this new world that we live in in this region now. Yeah, I think, you know, rounding last night, the, the phrase I hear the staff say is a new normal. And I am not here to tell you uh, listeners or, you know, people who work within our ministry what that is. What I do know is this. I know that we are doing elective surgeries. All of our units are open. The threat of fire is still there just because they're contained. You know, it doesn't mean there isn't fire anymore. And, and so to that end, I think that we acknowledge uh, where we are. I think, you know, for me, the biggest concern is welfare of our caregivers and the fact of the matter as to whether or not they're homeless and making sure that we have uh, appropriately supported them just from a shelter standpoint, you know, thinking about things like Maslow's hierarchy, right? So we just, that is paramount. And then just, I think, in the same frame, when we see each other, um, as is the case with any disaster, we ask each other, you know, how are you doing? Uh, and not how are you doing, but really, really, how are you doing? And if you are seeing someone who's tearful or withdrawn or otherwise, just creating space to listen and then using resources that we have in place, as do many other organizations, whether it's an employee assistance program, a chaplain, or otherwise, because, right, you and your, your listeners know we are going to all experience grief and loss differently with any disaster, and having the appropriate supports in place will be different about what uh, our new normal is, and I think in the middle of that, we know that. We also know, I think that we've learned some things about how we can function better as a team and some new processes we have in place. And so I think we celebrate that. We, we make sure we're taking care of one another and we continue to return to, you know, whatever that new normal is. And today, you know, we know that we have a fully operational facility that's staffed, that's uh, providing uh, care to not just our community here in Santa Rosa, but as uh, far north as the Southern Oregon border, given we're a regional referral center, and north of the Bay Area. And so, so we execute to that, and then we go out and around, and we check with our teams to see how we're doing and adjust accordingly. So as we're starting to do that work, right, we're in this phase now of where are our priorities, where, where are the things that we need to put our resources so we can get important work done. Does the priority list feel different now? And if it's different, in what way does it feel different for you as the CMO of the hospital but also as someone who went through an evacuation with their family and had much uncertainty about the status of your own home, have the priorities shifted? How do you recalibrate? You know, we talked about responsibility A. We talked about responsibility Z. How do you recalibrate the priorities as you enter the different phase of a disaster? I haven't really thought about that one. So, so right, going back to my priorities, right? the four Fs. And then as I meet new physicians and I talk with, you know, MEC and any, any group that wants to hear, so what does the chief medical officer for Sonoma County do? I say, 
Uh, my job is to make this a great place to work. Yes, that's measured by physician engagement scores, but really you know that when you meet people and they talk about the place that you work. And that's, that's what I said prior to this disaster. The, the measures for that are value, and, and I know you've heard me say this before, Mark, but I'll say it just so that your, your listeners are aware that, you know, that is, that is an equation, it's value, and it equals quality over finances. And then the quality, of course, is all the measures that, that everybody knows about, whether it's mortality, readmissions, uh, harm, patient experience, and then that's over finances, and that is how do we be successful financially, not just from a cost standpoint, because I know when I talk with physicians about finances, and if I just talk about cost, it's almost like Beaker from The Muppet Show, and it's an immediate tune-out. I need to talk about revenue, because that, that's important as well. And so, so that's the framework that I have as a, as a CMO uh, when I talk with people. You know, so what is it you do anyways? Well, it's about making this a great place to work, and it's about delivering value. And so in the face of coming off of a disaster such as this, I think the, the tie-in for me it goes back to making it a great place to work and being in a place where there was a disaster. Part of what I absolutely have to execute on is hearing what physicians uh, need because that's, that's, that's who I serve. And listening to my colleagues in, in this specific time, uh, what I'm hearing that you know, they need is for those who are displaced, they need shelter. Uh, for those who've experienced the disaster, they, they generally, um, from how I'm seeing it, want to be heard and uh, they want to be given the opportunity to make things better and they, they want to contribute. And so I think as I walk with the physicians in this community, I, as a part of my job and making this a great place to work, need to hear that and need to execute to it. And so that, I think, will be what's different, right? I didn't come to Sonoma County thinking that one of the big things that I'll need to focus on is shelter. Uh, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't part of the pros and cons, this decision that Julie and I made in making the move, but that is paramount, I think, go forward as, as we look at, I think, the latest numbers are that we have uh, 50 physicians who are homeless and 80 of our other care providers that are homeless as well, and, and that is definitely at the top of my list as well as Todd's list. So you framed the priority issue, which is this issue of getting housing for our teammates, for our colleagues, for the people that we work with. And you've also framed this call of, we want to make this a great place to work. And I would also suggest though, that as we go forward, I say we, not just us as the the community at Santa Rosa Memorial, I say we as all of us in this region, we all have that responsibility of we have to make sure that we continue to make this region a great place to work so that people continue to come to our area. It's an amazing place and it's a great place to live. It's a great place to visit. It's been through it. It's been through the ringer the last two weeks and it's going to be a long road ahead. But what you just framed, I think, is the call to action for all of us to say we have a responsibility and we also are committed to continuing to make this region a great place to work, a great place to live, where people who live here know that we're going to do the best that we can to look out for each other, that we're going to prioritize, as you point out, housing. I mean, just to take it to that next step, I think the most recent estimates are 5,700 homes lost in the region, which I, you know, you just can't wrap your mind around a number like that yet. Uh, but that's that's that call to action that, you know, People like you as a chief medical officer, 
people in business, that's people in politics, everybody. That's our call to action. That's the that's the biggest step forward in my mind of how do we start moving moving again. No, and I yeah, and I agree, Mark. I think it it is about making um, not just the hospital, but the place where we live uh, a great place to live, and and there, and that's the work. So so I think is people in positions that understand shelter, you know, better than I do, which are a lot, because I really, you know, have just a basic underpinning of it, um, are coming together. And, and it'll be important for us to get clarity about what that looks like uh, for the people who live in our community. Well, Sonoma County does not have a shortage of leadership, that's for sure. And I'm glad that you're one of those leaders. It's been amazing working shoulder to shoulder alongside you and the rest of the team at Memorial these last 10 days. And, you know, now we, we see a, a clear road forward and there's obviously work to be done. And I think you coming on and sharing these really important lessons and experiences and insights into what just happened and what we can start working on now to continue to make this a great place to live, work, and be together is been really really fantastic so thank you for coming on uh, mark thanks for the invitation i think if i could i'd just like to leave folks uh with a couple thoughts when we had our debriefing with the medical directors who really from my perspective made my job um really easy over the course of the last couple of weeks there were two key takeaways uh, that i'd share with your uh listeners um one is practice um, this is going to happen again. There will yeah. be another disaster. There will be another fire, earthquake, um, you know, whatever that may be. So for those of you who work in healthcare facilities and you get the call, we're doing disaster preparedness, you know, remember Sonoma County, remember uh, Katrina, remember those places that have been impacted and go and train and get ready because it, it will happen in a place where you work over the course of your career. Uh, and then I think the last thing, well, not the last, but I think the next thing that I heard the physician group say is, in, in people, I think especially physicians, get annoyed by trusting the process. We're generally action-oriented folks. In this space, though, what I heard was we need to trust the process and we need to follow it. And so I'd leave folks with that. And, and just, again, thank you for the invitation. I hope this is of help to your, your listeners on Explore the Space. And I uh, hope everybody has a great day. Thanks so much, Chad. Take care. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.